1: to Clubhouse Conversation. We talk to all your favorite current and former Royals on Clubhouse Conversation. It's Dave O. Glad you decided to join us for this episode because we are joined by one of the more fan favorite Royals of the last 20 years today, Joe Randa. And when you think back to that whole era of Royals baseball that Randa was a part of from the 95 to 05 era or so... Think back to that group of homegrown players the Royals had coming up through their minor league system. Anywhere from Johnny Damon to Mike Sweeney to Carlos Beltran, you know, added in guys like Jermaine Dye via trade, and another guy the Royals grew on the farm was Joe Randa. Now, Randa finished eighth, it seems like, in virtually every Royals category. Eighth all-time in Royals history. Joe Randa is for games played, for hits, for doubles, RBIs, hit-by-pitch, and total bases. Should be going into the Royals Hall of Fame, if I have anything to say about it, in the near future, hopefully. Joe Randa, known as the Joker, also played with the Pirates, the Tigers, the Reds, the Padres. And so excited to have him here on Clubhouse Conversation. He set aside an hour to talk with us. We'll go through everything from high school to the minor leagues to Casey the first time, the second time, in between, all that and more with Joe Randa, who joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation. First of all, Joe, thanks for coming on the show. And second of all, what are you up to these days? How are you and what's going on?
0: Well, I think I'm busier now than I was when I was a player due to my both my boys are very active and... And I chase them around like crazy. And I feel like I, the only time I have the breather over holidays. Um, you know, they, they're very into all three sports, so it, uh, you don't really have a downtime. So it's been crazy with that. And I still um, do some work with the Royals, I i do some special assistant uh, development for the minor leagues and work with their infielders, mainly third basemen, but uh, I still do work with the other players. Um, I'd say Moustakis was kind of my first project defensively through the system. kind of saw him at double A, at single A, double A, and triple A, kind of trailed them all the way through. And, and now I'm working with the second wave of guys, uh, the Hunter Dozers and the Chester Cuthards. Uh, they're both at double A now. So, in fact, I'm going down there next week. So I stand my foot in the door and trying to help the Royals as much as I can, because uh, I still have a passion for that and just being a dad.
1: Well you've got to be uh pretty excited with how Moose has progressed. I mean he's really turned into a pretty solid defensive third baseman.
0: Yeah, you know, um he transferred for over from uh shortstop to third base and it was you know, he had the he had the mindset, you know, I, I I'm a I'm a big believer in the way I played was being more of an offensive minded defensive player where range go get as many balls as you can get to um and you're going to make some mistakes along the way when you're that aggressive but he kind of had that that knack in him already coming from shortstop and he it was an it was an easy transition for him um it was just kind of slowing him down a little bit because he wanted to be overly aggressive and either you know trying to find times where he needed to just kind of make the routine play and sometimes uh he got a little bit ahead of himself but you know he's he's a very hard worker he has he's a lot he has he's very he's he's very prideful in what he does and and you know off obviously one thing that nobody can say that he hasn't taken his offensive game into his defense he's been very stout on defense and um I've been proud of him with that and you know you get to know these guys and, and what makes him tick and he's he's a I I wish that you know he was doing more offensively because he could be a really great well-rounded player. And I think, you know, he's shown signs that he can do that. It's just a matter of kind of getting over that hump. You know, they always say it's easier to get to the big leagues and it's harder to stay. Right. And you know, he's kind of at that that crossroads of developing some consistency at the plate. I think defensively, should he can he can play at this level at a high level on uh, at third base. It's just a matter of consistency offensively, but uh I think everyone that's worked with him, um, knows it's in there.
1: Yeah. Well, how excited are you to see, I mean, you've got to be having flashbacks to the old black road jerseys with the, with the blue letters. I mean, seeing Raul Banyas back out there again, right?
0: Right. Yeah. You know, there's a, in the game, there's, you always kind of keep tabs with certain guys and he's definitely one that I've stayed in touch with. And we've, you know, we've texted since he's signed back here, and I look forward to seeing him when he gets to, when they come into town this weekend. And you know, he's just a, he's a great clubhouse presence, a great guy, um, one of the more more respectable guys in the league. Um, he's worked, he's you know, he's been uh, spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. He's spent now a lot of time in the big leagues, and he's played in a lot of big games. So hopefully, he can rub off in that clubhouse on some of the, some of the guys and develop. You know, can create a a good good bond and in, in there, and and uh, you know, it it can't hurt having a guy like him around. That's for sure.
1: Well, and you talked about your kids growing up and everything like that, getting more active. Is there a chance that in the future we might see you as they get older, get into a more active coaching position, and then maybe possibly do some TV or radio work? As you did the what the ninety nine playoffs for ESPN Radio, didn't you back in the day?
0: Yeah, I've done some. You know, that was both that was basically post game. Um, Stuff I didn't do play-by-play. Play. You know I've I've dabbled with it. Um, I've had interest in it. It's just the scheduling is very difficult for what uh, you know I do with my kids. Um, you know I kind of train my kid. My oldest son's going to be a sophomore in high school, so he's kind of at the back end of the youth sports stuff. Um, and my younger one's in eighth grade, so he's still kind of in the thick of it. So it's kind of tough in the summer when they play. Travel baseball to be able to be as much as, as I want to be around as much as I can, and then mix in a TV schedule. I have been approached about doing some Omaha Royals games, and at one time approached to do some stuff for the Royals and Royals games um, about I don't know, about seven or eight years ago. And you know, I definitely would have interest doing it. It's just the time scale right now is very difficult. And I always told myself when I retire, I want to, I want to, I want to watch my kids grow up. And not so much because when you're in the game, it takes over your life. I mean, there's no, no, it doesn't matter what job you do, if you're even doing TV, you're there at 3 o'clock and you don't leave until 11. You know, it just, it's a big, it's a time scale. And and for my kids' activities, there takes over a lot of those times. And so it's tough to juggle and you can never make it perfect. But uh, I envision myself doing some things um, more with the organization. You know, Dayton Moore and JJ um, Bacolo have been very, very, uh, very kind to of me to give me windows to be able to be with my kids, but also still help the organization. Um, I go to spring training, and I spend four, a good four weeks during the summer visiting minor league clubs and working with the infielders. Um, th- that role may increase at some point, um, but right now it's basically kind of keep a tab on my boys.
1: There you go. Well, in the future, we'll be looking forward to that, hopefully. But now let's go back. Let's do, Let's go to the past here. So, you know, Wales, Wisconsin. You went to high school at Kettle Moraine. Uh, first of all, where exactly is Wales, Wisconsin at?
0: Wales, Wisconsin is roughly 25 to 30 miles straight west of Milwaukee okay. on I-94. Um, you know, wonderful place. A lot of lakes, Um it's basically Lake country, that's kind of what the nickname is. and um, you know it's, it was farming and lakes small, um, I'd say blue collar type high school, and now it's kind of not blue collar anymore because a lot of the property values has gone up because of the lakes and it's more it's really built up now, but back then it was um, you know a lot of country boys. I'd, I'd have to say kind of maybe a little bit like the old Blue Valley school. Okay. Where it used to be, you know, farms and cowboys, and um, but it was a great place to grow up. Um, I I don't inv- I would never have thought that I would be at this stage coming from that environment because baseball is just not. I mean, it's at that time there were no major league players ever to get in the major leagues in that whole Waukesha County, which is bigger than Overland Park, or bigger sure. than Johnson County. Waukesha County is bigger than Johnson County, and there is not ever a player born and raised there to make it to the major leagues. Huh. Well, wow. that was the first one, and so, and I'm the only one. So, it's it's not a baseball hotbed, but growing up there, you know, I played four sports in high school. I played tennis, which was in the spring. Baseball was in the summer for high school, and then I played football and basketball. And so, you're going from one sport to that, but that's what everyone did. You know, your group of friends, they all kind of migrated from one to the next. and uh, very fortunate to grow up there because it taught me a lot about um, hard work, and, and my parents obviously instilled a lot of that in me. But just being in that, around those group of kids, it was really good for me. And um, I still, I, I find myself going back more and more. In fact, me and my boys, we go fishing up in northern Wisconsin every year at my dad's cabin, and they love it. And it, just, it, was, it was a cool place to, to to grow up, and and I still go back. I still do a lot for my high school for the baseball program. And um, I'm pretty proud of it.
1: Well, you should be proud of this, too. I'm sure you are. You guys won state your senior year of high school in baseball. Right. And uh, then you ended up at Indian River Community College in Fort Pierce, Florida. So how in the world did a right. Wisconsin kid end up at the JUCO so far away?
0: Well, it, go, it's, it goes back even a little bit more than that. It, um, that's kind of the, the shorter version of my college experience. Um, uh, what, what happened was where I trained, there was an indoor training facility in Milwaukee when we were in high school we'd go into the batting cages indoor batting cages because it was so cold you couldn't do it outside obviously right um, And a gentleman named Mike Hegan who played for the brewers had to own this facility. Well I was in there hitting and you know at that time I would me and my stepfather we, would, we sent out a bunch of letters to a bunch of schools um, like 250 schools you know hey these are my stats blah blah. blah. You know, no one, I mean, you get the the courtesy letter back, but no one really, you know, was that interested. The University of Wisconsin had a baseball team, and they were interested, and they actually took me on a visit up there. And, you know, the facilities were bad. The weather's not great. It just wasn't very appealing to me. Well, Mike Keegan's son was at this junior college in Florida playing baseball. And so he approached me, and he said, Do you have, where are you going to college? I said, I really don't know. He goes, Well, would you go to junior college? And I'm like, didn't really know a lot about what junior college is about, so we flew down there and I tried out for the coach. And it was actually at Broward Community College, which is in Fort Lauderdale. And Broward, so the gentleman who was the coach, it was his name was Allard Baird. Well, Allard Baird, <laughs> he ended up being the general manager of the Royals down right. the road. So it, it gets you know it's kind of an interesting story. Um, so Allard Baird was the coach. Allard Baird saw me, he gave me a scholarship. I went to Broward. Ellard Baird ended up leaving there to go to a four-year school. So he wasn't even my coach, but I, so I stayed there. And Fort Lauderdale was a pretty good draw for me from going to Wisconsin to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as in weather, as in, you know, Fort Lauderdale back in the eighties was still a pretty hot, good hotbed for spring break. Right. So there's a lot of, a lot of good draws with that <laughs> for me. So I went down there and it was great for me. Um, I was very raw player. i we didn't play a lot of games. I wasn't coached by anybody. I basically did everything myself. Um, I had an uncle that helped me a little bit. but So I went down there, and I learned a lot from these Florida players that I was playing with. That program kind of, at the end of the year, had a lot of disarray, so I transferred to Indian River the next year, which was in the same conference. And that, that was a huge move for me because Indian River was a prominent junior college program, had a great coach. And it was my stepping stone to jumpstart me. Um, that's kind of why most most publications put Indian River then on the Tennessee because Broward was kind of like a side note if you take, but it was it was important. But yeah, was Indian River was more of a um, a stage for me, and that kind of then I got drafted by the Angels, and i made the Angels out of there, and then I didn't go, and then I went to Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that wasn't even in the media guide. The Broward County, that's amazing. Right. Uh, so yeah. But it became pretty interesting because Albert Baird. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. And he went to, what, James Madison from there? Is that where he went, ended up going from there?
0: He went to Nova University. Nova, that's where it was. Fort Lauderdale. There you go. And then after Nova, um, I think he went on to basically being a full-time scout with the Royals, and then he climbed the ladder with the Royals. But But, yeah, so it was interesting to... This guy saw me in college, gave me a scholarship, and then i get drafted by the Royals. He was one of the scouts that, he wasn't the original scout that put me in the draft when I was at Tennessee, it was a guy named Will Rutenshire, but, you know, like, Arch Stewart came saw me play in college, and, um, and then they drafted me, and then, you know, as I'm going through the minor leagues, you know, I run into Allard Baird, and then there's always been a bond there with him, with Allard, and... So it's been kind of funny in fact, I still communicate with him um i i'm I think he got a, a very broad deal here in Kansas City. I feel bad the way he left um but you know it, you you read you know sometimes you go in the bottom of an article and they'll be dogging on Dayton Moore or this or Mr. Glass or you know and Allard at this time he was here because of the drafts and the Meyer League system when he took over you know he took huge for something that he didn't have tons of control over and um you know i always try to stand up for him because i do have a bond with him but i also know the way systems are run that his hands were tied in a lot of ways and but he took the high road and didn't really blame you know he always blamed himself he never blamed anybody else and he kind of took the high road and he went on his way and now he's he's the head he's the head out um, for the Red Sox and oversees everything for the scouting department, does all their major league trades. Um, he's basically the right-hand man there um, for the general manager, and so good for him. But I feel bad the way it ended for him here.
1: Yeah, well, it's like he didn't have all the full you know, minor league affiliates, didn't have the the, the the pool of money to sign with. So, yeah, I've heard a lot about that as well. So, But, yeah, you're right. I've never heard him say a bad word about the Royals. He never would. So definitely a class nope, act. You're right. Um, okay, so anyway, so you got to Tennessee, you did good there. Then the Royals took you in the eleventh round of the ninety-one draft. Uh, at what point did you know that the Royals were going to, you know, possibly draft you? Though were they the team you expected to take you?
0: I didn't. No, I didn't hear much from them. During, you know, you you talk to certain clubs when you're in college. What they, you know, they ask you, what would you sign for? What, you know, what do you? And I thought the Red Sox were very interested at the time. And I thought, the, I want to say, the Milwaukee Brewers were because I was from there. And those those teams talked to me the most, but the Royals um, never did. And what happened was, is in the draft the Brewers had the pick right before the Royals. And the Brewer, the Royals wanted Jeff Cirillo, I think. And the Brewer, uh, the Royals wanted Jeff Sorillo, and the Brewers were gonna. Um, for some reason, he climbed higher on the chart than me with the Brewers. So the Brewers took Jeff Sorillo, which was the pick right before me in the eleventh round. So then the Royals went ahead and took me. So and, I, and Jeff Drill and I, we played against the Brewers through the minor league. You know they'd happen to be in our leagues, and so we became good buddies because we, he was the pick right before me. So he'd always rag me, and then I'd rag him because my numbers were better. And then when we got to the big leagues, we were kind of the same kind of player. Um, didn't hit for a lot of power, defensive, hit for average. You know if you look at our careers, they're, they're kind of near each other. For the amount of big league service and for what we what we did, and it's it's pretty funny. And we every so often I'll run into him somewhere, and we kind of joke with each other. And we sign bats to each other. I have one of his bats in my basement, and <laughs> I signed one for him. And it's kind of kind of you know, those little those little stories that you know are inside the game. Kind of what you're doing here is these interviews. Is you learn a lot about players that have little quirks and little things that happen to them that are kind of interesting. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, totally. Well, speaking of interesting, so you signed pretty quickly with the Royals, then. you were the MVP of the Northwest League for Eugene. You led the league in hits, total bases, on base percentage, third and uh, fielding percentage as well. And then, so what are your favorite memories of that first summer of pro baseball when you look back?
0: Well, I'm a big Bigfoot guy, okay. <laughs> like I love that show finding Bigfoot, and when I first landed there in Eugene, Oregon, I was like, oh, this is it. This is why I was drafted because this is where he lived, you know I'm like <laughs> this is where this is where Bigfoot lives and I'm like i'm in the I'm in the heart of it, you know, and um it was awesome, beautiful part of the country. I don't know if if any he's never been there or if anybody's never been there. It's just unbelievable up there um um I was very fortunate I had a great manager, Tom Poquette was my manager. You know, and and right away he, um, I don't know he felt a bond with me because Tom is from Wisconsin, and from the Eau Claire area, and so he kind of took me under his wing and just taught me so much. Um, not so much about the playing part of baseball, but just how to be a baseball player, and. Um, I just, it was just a comfort, everything kind of molded there. I, it was just one of those years that everything went right for me. Um, I, I loved the city, uh, had a great group of guys, good teammates, um, and, but, you know, Tom Poquette, I, I can never say enough about Tom Poquette because he was my manager every, the next year I started in Appleton, Wisconsin, he was my manager. And then I ended up getting moved up to high eight. And then the year after that, in Memphis, he was my manager. And so he kind of moved up with our group of players. And so he became like a father figure for me almost. Um, but, uh, you know, I owe a lot of my, my growth in the minor leagues to him. And so that, was, that, that definitely set the stage for that year, having him as my manager.
1: Well, and then you mentioned Appleton. So you started there. You were an all-star in 92. How nice was it playing close to home?
0: Yeah, you know, it kind of sucked, but it, it was. Yeah, Appleton was a, a great town, um, bad ballpark, um, lots of friends, um, you know, lots of family, but not it's not all the time that good. You know, where you you get there's you know I'm I'm, a, I'm one of these I'm kind of one of these anal um, have to have very structured with my regiments and what I do and that uh, didn't was hard for me to stay on that with that. Oh, let's go to lunch, or hey, you know, these five buddies are coming to the game. Let's go out after the game. You know, uh, it's not, yeah. you know, so it was a, it was a that was my first experience with um, that whole dynamic of trying to accommodate more than just the game. And so it was it was fun. I enjoyed it it was great to play in Beloit because I remember I went and tried out for the Brewers in Beloit when I was in high school in South Ando so I had, did the tryout and you know the first time I ever swung a wood bat and I go there I, I run a 16 I swing a wood bat and I take infield and they're like holy cow we didn't think you were this good they offered me $1,200 huh. out of high school they, you know after the draft and I and so I talked to Mike Keegan, helped me a little bit with that he said Joe you can't go not a lot of money. To go to college, um, and so my parents wanted me to sign it because of it the Brewers, and I turned it down. And then I went to junior college, and you know a lot of people thought I was crazy that I'll never get this opportunity again. But I kind of believed that it would. But so I got a chance to play in Beloit again because the Appleton is in the same. You know, I got a chance to play in Madison, so it was really cool to do that. But on the other hand, I was kind of glad when I got called up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand that. Well, and, and we always hear about Baseball City then during spring training, obviously. But you were there in '92. So, as far as playing there as an affiliate, was it pretty much a ghost town? Nobody there. Everything was deserted by then.
0: It was exactly what it was exactly that it was. We call it a truck stop for baseball. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. was, you know, there was a Bob Evans and a McDonald's, Burger King, um, one hotel. It um, was it was a it was, a, it was a, a gas or a truck stop to get to. To Orlando, basically, um, or to Tampa. Um, you know, it was awful, um, but it was a good baseball because then, you know, high, high A ball is a more advanced than low A ball, so I got challenged. It, it was good. It was better baseball there, and the fields were better, but there was no energy, and it was hot, and it rained every day around 4 o'clock. And, mm-hmm. You know, everyone was trying to get that Sonny's player of the game so they get Sunnys barbecues across the street and you know, they give a you know, there's no one at the game, so anybody who got a player of the game got a um gift certificate for twenty five bucks and you know, you're anybody that doesn't know about the minor leagues, I think I made in high A I might have made eight fifty or nine hundred dollars a month. Huh. So four guys are living together in some small apartment and you're monitoring your money to eat, to You've got to tip the clubhouse guy because he's doing your laundry. Um, you're not walking away with any extra money, so to do that to get that twenty five dollars is big, you know. Um, and so that it was, it was, it was good for playing, but it was for the surface and for the competition. But the atmosphere was the worst you can ever imagine.
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, you mentioned barbecue. So ninety three, you move up to Memphis where they've got decent barbecue. Right. Uh, you were uh, ninth best batting average in the league, 295, 11 jacks, 72 RBIs, also an all-star. So when you think back to being a Memphis chick, what do you think of?
0: Um, that was probably the most fun I've had. Besides Eugene was a lot of fun. Eugene and Memphis were probably the two most fun I had on the field and off the field. Um, great group of guys. One of my best friends in the minor leagues then was Joe Vidiello, He was my teammate there for a while. We just had a good group of guys Tom Piquet was my manager um, Memphis was a great town but um, the, the league was fun we were great there that was the first year where you played in some bigger cities where you actually felt like you were a step closer to the big leagues um, the bus trip sucked because you had to go to Jacksonville you'd had to go to we had to go to Carolina um, from Memphis and so the bus trips were challenging, but man, it was it was a great league. That Southern League is awesome. We had so much fun and um, lots of great memories of of, di- of different things. But you know, it's, uh, the Southern League was the Southern League and the Northwest League were the two best leagues that I played in, and um, just had a blast.
1: Ninety four Omaha led the league in most third base defensive categories. You hit two seventy five there. Omaha Rosenblatt Stadium, rest in peace. What are your favorite memories of those days?
0: Uh, you know, um, Rosenblatt was was obviously at that time because of the College World Series, you know, everyone knows of Rosenblatt, but it was it was it was a below it was an average field for that league at that time. Um, there were some that were, Nashville, no one really started doing the new ballparks yet in 94. Um, I think Buffalo might have had the newest ballpark, but everybody else was kind of, eh, blah. Yeah. Um, and So I kind of missed that wave of new ballparks, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, Omaha's a great town. Omaha's just like, you know, you know a smaller scale of Kansas City. Uh, but you know, because of the College World Series, there's a lot of baseball knowledgeable people there, and um, you know, we drew okay. But one thing that's different now compared to then is when we were in Double A, we had guys that were some of them had some big league time, and you had some older guys on your roster to kind of season the younger guys. In Omaha, when I was in Omaha in '94, we had Glenn Davis. We had guys that had five, to six years in the big leagues on that team, and. Were, had made some money, and you know, they were sprinkled in with me and Michael Tucker and Joe Vidiello and um, guys like that. That you know, these guys were able to kind of hide behind these guys, but also play and not be you know the centerpiece of that team. And almost it, it was almost kind of like the Yankees at the big league level that's what we had in Omaha. Um, because we had a, a higher payroll at the Big Leagues at the time, and that's kind of the trickle-down of, of how the organization had worked then, is you had to bust you, you had to have very good numbers to go. As you look at my numbers in my leagues, every year and I only went up one level, and I had to earn that every year in spring training, even though I had all-star years. And, but it all was based on the AAA the Major League roster, and that, that AAA roster we had in '94. I mean, there's there it was a stack full of veteran type guys because they were able to step in at the big leagues if they needed them. And that was my first sign of playing with a lot of older guys. Of you know, hey, this is the business, and this is, and you can hear guys talk and they kind of rub elbows with you about finances of the game and the business side of the game. Um. That You know, between the A AA and AAA, 93, 94 is when I started learning more about the business side of baseball. Mm-hmm. Back when you're in the lower levels, you're just playing and having fun, and you're not really even thinking about the big league level. But when you get to there, you start really processing it of, okay, what's going on? Okay, that guy's got – he's going to be arbitration eligible, kind of what that meant. And so it kind of took on a whole different flavor of the game that year in 94 of, wow, this is a bigger deal, you know. There's a lot more going on here with baseball here than I
1: thought. Yeah, the innocence kind of goes away, right? It does. Yeah. It definitely does. Well, 95 had to be one of the more special years, I'm assuming. You made the opening day roster uh, out of spring training, which seems to be kind of rare when I do these interviews. Most people get called up during the season. So ha- any cool memory of how you found out you were going north? Did they bring you in the office and tell you any, any cool way or anything like that?
0: Well, it, it started earlier than that because that, that August of 94 was the strike. Right. So the whole landscape of Kansas City baseball changed. Where it was um, payroll was probably in the upper third of of Major League Baseball. And all of a sudden that strike hit. And then we didn't go to spring training right away. They had replacement players. Mm-hmm. And spring training, I just remember we, we sat at home. If you're on a 40-man roster, you sat at home. You were not at spring training. They would not allow you to come to spring training. So we sat at home, and it was a weird, you know, we're getting conference calls. David Cohn, Brian McRae were the reps. And so we'd get phone calls like every two, three days as a conference call with all the 40 men guys. Me and Mike Sweeney was on the 40-man. We are minor league guys that hadn't been to the Bay Leagues yet. So we're getting phone calls, getting information about the strike and what's kind of going on. Then they have the replacement players, and then, you know, frustration is building a little bit. And this is my first time where I might have a chance to make the team, but I'm sitting at home. And then we, you know, they break the, you know, they they agree, we go to spring training. Well, spring training is short that year. It's only three weeks. So Bob Boone's a manager, and I've only played third base my whole career, in high school, college, and in the minor leagues. I've never played any other position, ever. Bob Boone comes up to me, and he goes, have you ever played second base? Yeah, i played second base. (laughs) <laughs> Never played them before. And I'm going, oh, God. So they start taking them out because Gary Gaetti's on our team. Oh, yeah. So, but they don't really have a utility guy. Jose Lean's at second. Gary Gaetti's at at third. Greg Gagne's at short. Wally Joyner's at first. But they don't have a – And I was having a good spring training, but they don't have a backup guy. I mean, Gaetti's kind of older. You know, sort of thought it would be nice to have a, you know, they could kind of groom me a little bit. So I go to second base. I don't get one double play. I got one double play ball hit to me the whole time, and you're working on double. And double play is the hardest thing to to learn at second base is, is getting the throw because the play is coming behind you. Right. Getting the feed, and so we work on it and work on it. Well, until you get one in the game, you don't really know the speed of it. So I finally get one the last like the last week of spring training. I finally get one. We're playing Detroit. I'll never forget this. Obviously, if I'm telling you. <laughs> And Travis Fryman's on first base. Ground ball to Greg Agnew. He comes and he flips it to me. And I'm standing right on top of the base. And I go and I turn and I go to throw The second and he kills me, flips me up in the air. My, his cleat just cuts my, my... My shoe gets all cut up, torn up. And I'm laying on the ground. And I'm like, look, I'm this is spring training. I'm looking at him. And he goes, son, you got to get your ass out of the way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, okay. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> and so, you know... I end up making a team as a utility guy because I he thinks I can play second base. <laughs> okay. And never play. So you know, the ball's right at me. So I I make the team which is great. I was all excited but kind of stressed at the same time because I'm like, Oh I'm gonna go play in the big leagues and I'm gonna probably play more second base than I am in third because Guyetti was playing very well and well, all of a sudden, Jose Lean decided to go on a sabbatical, and
1: <laughs> if you he disappears,
0: right? right? So now, it's, oh my gosh, now I'm really, so my first major league start was at second base <laughs> in the big leagues, and I've never played it before.
1: So, I, re- I remember you th- playing second, that's hilarious.
0: Right, right. It's, it's so it's, it's kind of interesting, so yeah, I was excited in 95, but very stressed.
1: Yeah, well, so you, got, you went back to Omaha in early July, obviously, but you got your first hit off of Mark Langston and then the future Royal Dave Fleming. You took him deep for the first home run, and you made it back to KC in September. So what sticks out about that? I mean, going into your second year, going into that offseason, were you, what were you thinking at that point?
0: Well, the offseason, I felt like I – I mean, first of all, I got sent out in July, and I had, I had 30 at-bats at an all-star break. <laughs> so as a young player having 30 at-bats, you're not really – I never really had a chance to prove myself um at that year which which gary gay had a career year i totally understand it but i sat there on the bench and as a young guy to come in games you're trying to you know you're trying to prove yourself it's not the best situation so i went down in july i was kind of pissed about it i understand getting sent up, but i was kind of pissed about the whole process that i wasn't really playing but i understood why but i was you know a young kid yeah Went down July, got some at bats. They brought me back in September. Did better in September when I got called up. For the playing time I got, um, we almost we almost made the wild card that year in '95. Yep. And I think we ended up like two and a half, three games short of the wild card.
1: People forget that too.
0: And and then and you know then the winter obviously you're you're pro, I'm I'm processing to work really hard to make that to be the starting third baseman. So. They, that guy that he signed somewhere that's free, and I go into spring training, I have a great spring training, um, and they end up keeping me and Keith Lockhart to put in that third base. And so Bob Boone being the manager, the kind of manager he was, it was all about numbers. And every 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 time there was a lefty, I was playing. Every time there was a righty, Lockhart was playing. And then when the reliever came in, we'd flip-flop. Um, but it was it was, it was was a year of, I like, obviously – Got my feet on the ground a little bit more, and in in May I lost my mom. My mom passed away in May in a car accident, and so it kind of was a really big dynamic for my career in '96. And I have I and this was in May, so I still had June, July, and August, September ahead of me. And I grew up in a divorced family, so my mom was kind of my my strength. And so losing her was very powerful and very difficult. And I had to find a way to overcome that, you know. And I had a lot of good support from my friends on the team. Joe Vidiello was a big support for me. He was on the team then and and, and my family and my wife and all the you know, that kind of stuff were really you know, but I, I knew I had to do it myself and so I ended up hitting three hundred and feeling like I, I that I I belong. You know, I belong here. And just kind of like we talked about Moustakis, you, as a big league guy, you're facing guys you've seen on TV and you've been watching. Until you believe inside, you can you can say all you want, like I feel good, my, my swing feels good, but deep down inside your core and your heart, it takes some time for you to believe that you belong here. And after that year, I believed that I did that. And it was a course of a lot of things, a lot of strength and a lot of a lot of, things internally that happened that year. Losing my mom was one of them. And then after the year, thinking, oh, my God, okay, we're going to buy a house. This is where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. I go buy a house because we like Kansas City. Um, my wife looks from Memphis, and I was from Wisconsin. It's kind of in the middle. We buy, buy a house. And <laughs> not even two weeks later, Art Stewart calls me and tells me I've been traded to Pittsburgh. And it was just crushed me. It crushed me, and uh, it took me a, a while to overcome that. Just knowing the Royals knew what I went through that year with losing my mom, and they were very supportive as well. And then to get traded, it was a huge, huge adjustment to get, a huge thing to get over for me. But uh, in, in in I look back at it now, it that's just the way it was supposed to be, and I was able to come back in '99, and so it all it all ended up working out in the end.
1: Yeah, well, that trade, by the way, Jeff King, Jeff Granger, Joe J—I never realized it was all Jays until like the other day. It was all Jays. yeah. <laughs> I looked back at that, but so you hit uh, 300 for the Pirates again in '97 after doing 303 and in '96. You were left unprotected, then again in the expansion draft. Um, mm-hmm. The Diamondbacks took you, and then turned around right away, traded you to the Tigers. So after two straight years into producing, but being traded or not protected, were you? I mean, were you getting a bit frustrated at that point? I'm sure.
0: Yeah. I was. Um, I, I just wanted a home. Um, after that year in Pittsburgh, you know, they you know they were only able to protect so many guys. And after the first round, they could pull a couple more guys back. I thought they were going to pull me back because of my age, but they had a younger third baseman underneath me that they protected too. And I think they felt they were going to slide me through. And, um, in fact, I had a bunch of friends over. At the house because I thought that I was going to get taken in the first round because they, I basically knew I wasn't protected. Yeah. And so had friends, and we were in Kansas City, had friends over at the house, you know, we're having a little bit of a party. And first round goes through, I didn't get taken. Second round goes through, I didn't get taken. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm, I, 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 I'm going to go back to Pittsburgh, which was fine because I liked it there. And so everyone leaves the house, and then all of a sudden, I'm still watching the TV. And Joe Randa, selected by the Arizona Diamondbacks, <laughs> I'm like, sweet! You know, I was like, because, you know, Arizona was a, I played Arizona Fall League there for two years, so we liked it. Yeah. I was like, great, this is going to be great. And then ten minutes later, I get a call from Randy Smith, the general manager of the Detroit Tigers, saying, congratulations, um, you know, you're not my Tiger, you've been <laughs> this is a prearranged deal, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I went from really high to really low, really <laughs> fast, because I've been in Detroit, and Detroit... You know, it was the old ballpark, and it was just—it just wasn't high on my favorite list at that time. You know, where I would want to be. Yeah. Um, so it was a, definitely a roller coaster ten minutes, um, and you know, it, was, it, it ended up being fine because I got the chance to play for Buddy Bell and Buddy Bell, and he had a guy in the staff named Perry Hill, and I was a—you know—I felt I was an above-average defensive player. Well, these guys took me to a whole nother level. Uh, Buddy Bell and this guy named Perry Hill, who's the best infield instructor I've ever come across. And now when I teach, I teach what he taught me. Huh. And, you know, it, so I look at that, look back at that, is, And I struggled that year offensively because I just wanted to play there so bad because I loved these guys. I just felt like, God, I need to be around these coaches. They they were awesome. But it was one of those deals, and I've, that was a big, huge learning lesson for me. And I, I, I tell other younger players, the same thing. When I learned that year no matter how bad you want it, you think this is where you want to be, it might not be where you're supposed to be. And I felt that the year in Detroit, how bad I wanted it, I was trying so hard. Offensively, it just wasn't clicking for me, but defensively, I was a stud. But offensively, it wasn't clicking, and then they end up trading me um, after a year, and I look back, I'm like, God, I wanted that so bad, but it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And there, you know, you look back at how things happen in your career, and there are certain things that happen, and you didn't understand. that didn't make sense. Then you look at what happened the year after that, and you go, "Okay, now I get why that happened." Right? You know. So um, that was that was an interesting year, but uh, some good, valuable lessons learned for sure.
1: Well, you being a little modest, I think that year you had a forty-game errorless streak. You were one of right. only two right-handers to homer off a Roger Clemens that year, and. You were the AL Player of the Week in September, but then it happened again. So <laughs> then you, for for six days, you were a Met, and then once again the Royals got you back in probably one of the best trades in franchise history for Juan Lebron, who ended up, you know, being a bust in, in the at the end of things. But so was it pretty exciting coming back to KC then in '99?
0: Well, it, it it was interesting because when I went to the Mets, they had already had Robin Ventura, and so Steve Phillips was the general manager, and my agent and myself had multiple conversation with him he goes look this was a money deal we had to we wanted to get rid of Willie Blair's contract and they traded back to Detroit because that's where he had his good years and we look at you as either being a utility guy or if we can find a, a place for you um that makes sense of getting a player we'll move you so it goes into December and Steve Phillips calls me and he says where do you want to go Pittsburgh or Kansas City like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we got the same trade for the same kind of player lined up with both teams. I know you played at both places. Where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go back to Kansas City because my wife was pregnant with my first son, my my oldest son, Jacob. I want to go back to Kansas City. And so, okay, well, you've got 48 hours to work out a contract because of the arbitration eligible. So we had 48 hours to work out a contract with with the Royals. So basically I was, between a rock and a hard spot, because I knew, they knew I wanted, I had a house there, they knew I wanted to come back there, but I had to agree to a contract first for the trade to go through. <laughs> so, um, so we end up with, Jay Hendricks worked the contract, he was the assistant general manager, Herc Robinson at right. the time, so Jay Hendricks and my agent, Ron Shapiro, hammered out a deal that we thought was fair, and it was a, a one-year-with-an-option Um and that's how I got back to Kansas City, where I had the option to go to Pittsburgh if I wanted to go to Pittsburgh, but I chose Kansas City, and then the rest kind of played itself
1: out. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, 99, one of the best years of your big league career, 314 right. with 16 and 84, sixth in hits, but I wanted to ask you about two particular things that happened. First, how cool is it stealing home against the Minnesota Twins that year? Do you remember that? The what? Stealing home against the Twins that year. Do you remember that?
0: You know, it, it was a fluke. Really? <laughs> but, you know, it, it wasn't really supposed to happen, but it happened. But, I, you know, it's I, that wasn't one of my highlights of my career because I wasn't a stolen based guy. But
1: Yeah, it, was, it was, wasn't uh, a Mike Sweeney against Pettit or anything. Right.
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't one of those. I think it was a guy first and third, and he stole second, and I stole home or something like that. But it was uh, – yeah, it's definitely something that doesn't happen probably more than once in my career, for sure.
1: <laughs> well, you also homeward opening day off of Pedro Martinez in your first at-bat, but then I'm sure you probably remember 10 consecutive at-bats where you got hits, which is a Royals record. Uh, got you AL Player of the right. Month. Is that one of your favorite months of your career when you look back?
0: It was. It was. Um, it all started, I think, um, maybe against St. Louis.
1: Yeah, I think so. I went,
0: like, 5-for-5, five five, and, you know, it was a stretch where... You know, as hitters say, the ball, everything slowed down and, um, you know, it was my confidence level was so high. Um, you know, offensively, we were doing such great things. There was not a lot of pressure on one guy because there was four or five guys doing it. Um, it was just that whole year, you know, besides that month, where it's like everything was just flowing and, you know, it seemed like there was the scoring position all the time. I had, you know, I had Jermaine, I think I hit behind Jermaine most of that year and, guys would pitch around Jermaine to get to me and trust me, I got a lot of heat for that from Jermaine because every time <laughs> you walk, you look at me on deck like, thanks Joe, go get him, you know <laughs> so, um, you know, and you know, with Mike and, and Carlos and John, we just had such a great offensive minded group and so it made it easy to do that but because they couldn't really pitch around anybody and then I went into Pittsburgh and kind of finished that out and I had a walk mixed in there and and I, I remember being 10 for 10, and, and I think my average jumped like 25 or 30 points or something like that. And and I that, that, that 12th bat, bat, it started kind of getting in my head a little bit about, oh, my God, this is, I'm doing this, you know. And I swung at a slider in the dirt and ended it, and I was like, oh, my God. There were two two times in my career that that got in my head. It was, that was the one time. The other time was that it might have been in 2000 or 2001 when I had six hits or I had the six hits and scored six runs. Well George Brett and Mr. Ross are right above the dugout and George is rooting me on. He's like, Okay, that's five. You know, go for your six. Don't get don't don't lose focus. Go for your six. So I'm six for six. And then I scored another run and I'm freaking exhausted. Right? <laughs> it's the first day of a doubleheader, First game of doubleheader, And I get up my seventh time in that game. And I lost my focus just like I did the time when I was 10 for 10. It's like it got in my head where I was thinking about it, and the same thing happened. I, sw- I swung at a, a slider in the dirt. And it's like if I look back at those two at bats, if I were to do anything different in my career, I would have stayed more locked in at those two at bats.
1: Really, that's kind of weird. Uh, well, 2000 was a special year, the first time uh, in Royals history that you had what a trio of guys with 100 RBIs you, Jermaine, mm-hmm. and Mike. Actually, that was the second time in Royals history, but then in 01, you came back, we're, were steady again. And O two, I wanted to ask you about uh, the famous game in Oakland, where you guys came all the way back, almost snapped that twenty game win streak. Moneyball, of course, was made on that, and the Scott Hattieberg home run off Grimsley. So, do you remember that day pretty well?
0: Yeah, you know uh, that game, probably up there with the most unique and strange and fun all together wrapped in one, where you you see the dynamics of the game playing out, where like you know you can. We're, we're taking it to them pretty good. And you can kind of see them thinking, okay, our streak's over, as in their body language, and then all of a sudden they get a little energy and they get a little life, and all of a sudden their whole mindset changed. And for us, we're, you know, we're playing to win the game, but when you are on a streak like you're on, there's something at stake. You know, because they, obviously everyone's taking note of it, and so you could just see them processing and building and building and building mm-hmm. the adrenaline. And so then we we would feed off that. So then we'd come back. You know, and it was just like it was um, it was one of those games you go home at night and you just you play back in your mind here at bats in the situations and how cool it was in the moment um, and being able to be now in the movie and that kind of stuff it's pretty it's a pretty cool day it's pretty cool night
1: what did you think of the guy that played you in Moneyball was it a, a, the, the actor
0: you know I, I I don't know how they came up with that <laughs> I mean it wasn't not even close to being like me I guess it, cause I don't know if they thought it was like maybe from a different ethnic
1: background or well, something. well yeah Raul Raul was African American I think wasn't he <laughs>
0: that- yeah I know it's like, did you guys like really watch the game or <laughs>
1: Oh goodness! That'd be like, like putting Matt Damon as Billy Butler or something. Uh, so yeah, exactly. So the Joker nickname—were you cool with that at, at the beginning? And where did that come from? Who, who came up with that for you?
0: Uh, that goes in Pittsburgh in '97. Um, that was Bob Walk, who was an ex major league pitcher. He was—he did the TV games and. And I've had players in the past, like when I was in the minor leagues and stuff, you know, I, I got drilled a couple times and they said, quit smiling or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not smiling because I'm squinting. You know, I'm like, you know, and so it's happened before, but no one's ever really said anything much about it. And then he said on air, he said, man, Jorana looks like the Joker, you know. and So somebody made comment of it after the game. Uh, yeah, Bob said that. I'm like, I don't care, whatever. You know, that's funny. Well, all of a sudden, and we were playing very well, too. There was a lot of energy about our team that year because we had $9 million payroll. Um, the city is a blue-collar city in Pittsburgh, and it's, people just ran with that team. I mean, it was that, that year was right up there with the most incredible feats I've ever been part of in my life. Um, because we were all, Jason Kendall was on that team, and, you know, there weirdest, we had we a young group of kids and really didn't even know what the hell we were doing. And we were winning. And um, so I would get started getting mail. You know, you get fan mail into the clubhouse, and I was getting Joker cards. <laughs> um, and so I would, I would kind of sign them and send them back. And so Bob Walk came down. And he goes, hey, how about we do something fun? He said, every time you get two hits in a game, we'll pin a Joker card up in your locker. I said, all right, great idea. <laughs> so we started pinning up unique, different Joker cards in my locker, because we had wood lockers, and um, and so every time I, I got two hits, oh, another Joker card, you know. So he'd say it on air, and people just started running with it, and sending me Joker cards, and that's kind of how it started. And now, you know, after the, then, Franklin, and I had Franklin batting gloves. They started they put Joker on my batting gloves, and um, as like on you know on, on the finger, of the, they stitched it in the leather, and it kind of it was a fun deal. It was that's part of the uniqueness of, of sports getting the nickname, but it's actually a decent nickname not a too bad one so i said all right that's kind of
1: good all right we'll take it yeah well it worked out well you mentioned that as one of your most memorable years i'm assuming 03 with the royals you right. know obviously yep. you hit what you so. you had 344 after the all-star break that year and a 75 game aerialist streak which is the club record at third base you had the 16 and four start of the year tony pena so when you think back to 03 where does that rank and what do you think of that year
0: yeah, '03 and '97 were unique in their own ways because a lot of things went right. I mean, we used to we had I had a trainer named Lee Cunin, and he's now the head trainer with the with the Nationals. He was the assistant trainer under Nick Schwartz, and he would always print up these T-shirts. They're called bootleg baseball T-shirts. And we and on the back they'd have like one had like tread marks that said, you just got thrown under the bus, and then there was one that had a bottle with a lightning rod in it. It was called huh. lightning in a bottle. And so that's what we kind of figured. Like everything Tony Pena did worked. Every decision the guy made, if it was bringing a guy, the right guy to the bullpen, pinch hitting the right guy, everything worked. And that was our. It was lightning in the bottle. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what this organization needed. They needed a year where everything was going to work to gain some momentum for this for this organization. Because from the strike on the 2003, it was hit or miss. I mean the fan base, everybody was, ha- it was having a hard time for the fans to come back and, and embrace what was going on in Kansas City and um, and hearing so much as a minor leaguer about how great Kansas City was and, you know, and then being around George and Frank and Paul Splitter and all these guys that say how great Kansas City is and the fans and coming here from there until 2003 going, okay, where is this? Where are these people? You know? Um, but, <laughs> We were winning, and all of a sudden people were coming out, and all of a sudden people are talking about the Royals. And I lived; I was one of the only guys that lived here in the winter. People are talking about it in the winter, you know. Okay, we got these guys coming back, you know. And it, it it was a is a process, and in two thousand three, it kind of all flowed together where everything was working, and we were getting fans, and and okay, this is what Kansas City is, you know. This is what all these guys were talking about. I'm feeling it now, you know, and. Mm-hmm. To fit to come up short hurt um, because we felt like you know our team offensively could hold with anybody. We were a little short on the back end, um, bullpen wide and were a little bit, you know, maybe one or two. Where if we had you know made a little bit of stronger of a push, maybe got one more guy, maybe you could have done something different. But but it was there was a lot of great memories that year, a lot of fun things, a lot of neat things that happened that. Yeah, stick in your memory for sure.
1: Well, you had Kevin Apier come back and beat the Yankees, throwing like eighty-five, and Paul Abbott, and one other guy. I wanted to ask you about is we lost him way too young, obviously. Jose Lima pulling him. They hadn't even scouted him in person, from how I understand it. Pulled him out of the indie league, and he turned things around. What are your favorite memories of Lima time?
0: Lima, it was you know you. I, I try not to pay too much attention to him because he did all. He, he had so many antics and. <laughs> um, for the camera and you know but he was a very genuine guy he was a great teammate but he did a lot of things you know for the camera um you know he but he knew how to pitch and he didn't have great great stuff he was in the back end of his career at the time um but he but he knew how to pitch and he was creative and um if you bought as an opposing guy if you bought into his antics he, he played right into his you know into his hand and um, you know, he was a he was a character of the game. Um, Paul Byrd was a character of the game where they did a lot of things to kind of get in the head of the opponents of what they did and they knew exactly what they were doing and they were professionals and so it was kind of it was it was a lot of fun playing with those guys because they were definitely personalities and characters of the game.
1: One other memory of 2004 I wanted to ask you about as a Royal. Now, you probably may not remember this. This is one of the best at-bats I ever saw in my life. Um, random game, April twenty 2004. You're up in the ninth inning against Joe Nathan. It had to have been like a 15-pitch at-bat. You must have fouled off like 10 pitches. Do you have any recollection of that at-bat? No. Okay. It was, it was amazing. One of the, I mean, it went on forever. I think you eventually popped out, but it was a...
0: Well, you know, we, we used to have such great battles with the Twins. Because we were very mirrored kind of teams, and Tory Hunter in center, David Ortiz, Doug Mankiewicz, yeah, Pat Mears at short, um, Kordikowski at third, AJ Pierzynski behind the plate, Jock Jones. I mean, they, and then Joe Nathan in the back end, and you know they they had so many Doug Racky. You know it was very we, and then you're playing in that dome where you're it's just a totally different ball game in that dome. You know, I miss, you know, Gardenhire is one of the, well, he's one of the great managers in the game. You know, we we just had such great battles against the Twins through the years. And, um, and you know, Nathan is, you, you face him so many times that sometimes he's going to win his end of the battles and you're going to win your end of the battles. But he, you, you just are con- you know exactly what he's got. He knows exactly what my strengths are and you're just battling, you know, all the time. Um and you know, he was he was Nathan was a great competitor, um and he still is competing in a game which is great for him. Um but yeah, he's, he was a lot of fun to face.
1: Well, a couple more quick questions. Uh, 2005, you signed with the Reds, and then you got traded to the Padres. You finally got to taste the postseason, and you got on base at a four seventeen clip, which was kind of cool there in the playoffs. So what was it like playing in the playoffs with uh, San Diego?
0: Well, um, when I got traded over there, they had a great group of guys already together, Trevor Hoffman and Brian Giles and Ryan Cusco, a good manager, and Bruce Bochy. And, um, you know, they that city it was pretty – you know, one of the coolest things that's ever that I ever got to feel was playing third base when Trevor Hoffman comes in the game with Hells Bells I mean there is not a cooler moment when in a playoff run when and they had a time perfectly he throw his last warm up on pitch and you're just dong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that you could and the way I don't know if you've ever been to, um, to the petco park right yep in San Diego but it opens up into the city and the gas lamp fishers is right there. And people are on top of the Marriott. And you can just in that hillside is all open to the public. The hillside is packed. It's sold out. We're playing the, the Giants, you know, Barry Bonds and we're like three games up and we've got like seven to play. And, you know, here comes Trevor and just like boom, the gate's open and hell us bells. getting into the playoffs, seeing the joy of these guys who have somewhat and for me and, like, Mark Loretta has never been in the playoffs then either, and some of the guys on that team, it was just, oh, my God, this is what you shoot for. Um, it was almost like a chapter of my life. I got to another chapter of my life um, by that because you come up as a player in high school and college and and professionally – you strive for the best. You strive for stability in your, in your life. You strive for security in your life, for financial security. And then there's, that, then there's that other chapter of, okay, I want to get to the highest point of a player. And the playoffs is, is a step to the highest point. I never did get to World Series. That would have been another plateau. But the playoffs, it was like, this is what it's about. And then you get to the playoffs and you start thinking about, okay, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't wanna be that, that video clip of making an error. Bill Buckner. Or striking out. Yeah. You know, You know, you think about um uh, gosh, the first baseman for the um Cubs or for the Red Sox.
1: Oh, um, Buckner. Buckner. Yeah.
0: You don't wanna be that guy. And you know, because it's such a there's such a focus on that game in the a playoff game, there's it's like everyone's watching and every play, every pitch is Critique, you know, it's like it was a lot of pressure. But it, I, you know, it was, I'm very fortunate to be able to get to that point to be able to play one. That's for sure.
1: Well, I know you considered retiring after that year, but then the Pirates made you a financial offer. You obviously couldn't refuse. You came back for one more year in 06. You were, you know, mostly injured. But so, was it pretty clear? Did you know pretty much during 06 that would be the last year?
0: I, I did when, when I when I went there that year. I knew in my head. I didn't ever say anything that you know this was it. But you know, my I always felt I'm not gonna. I wanted to play and I want to be passionate about what I was doing and not play for the money. And I felt there was a little bit of a tie there, or a little bit of a, you know, a little bit where I was missing. My kids were both in school then, and I was starting to miss stuff. And my kids, you know, you, you get the tone from your family. Like, okay, is this is this enough? Or you know, and then you, start, you don't want to be selfish about it. Um, it was, you know, it was hard to make that decision that, and now I look back, I'm glad I did, and I wish I would have kept playing, because after that year, um, I had an opportunity to go to Texas, and I just said, no, I'm done, I'm not going to do it, I wish I would have. Mike Sweeney and I, we talk, we're we're good friends, we talk all the time, and, you know, I know he went through that at his end, where, do I just keep doing this? Do I keep going to spring training to make a team, then you're on the team, and then, you know, but he, he he went all the way to the end where he felt he couldn't do it anymore. Where I felt like, you know what, I was thinking about my family, but then I got home with my family I felt like, you know, I'm 37 years old. Or I was 35. I'm 35. And I'm healthy. And I can still, I have, I have a job opportunity. And I didn't do it. And so I look back at that and I regret that. I mean, no, my family was great. They were like, great, if you want to go play, go play, Dad. And, you know, my, my wife, she go play. Nobody told me that I shouldn't. I just felt like I needed to be with my family. But I look back and I wish I would have played. Um, I wish I would have finished it out and had a end my career on, on a better taste than I did.
1: Well, our last two questions for you: any favorite memories from the Royals that I didn't mention? Anything that sticks out, you know, in your mind?
0: Um, you know, I mean, there's. There's a lot of memories I think with the Royals. I mean, you know, my last game with the Royals, where I knew that they weren't going to sign me back after the 2004 season. Um, there were two at bats that I got done at bat, and I cried. And that was one in '04, my last at bat. Um, you know, the season we we're at home. The season ended at home, and um, you know, there was we were out of it. wasn't a you know a playoff game. We all you know, going into the playoffs. Obviously, we were out of the race, and um, you know, there was a fairly sparse crowd, but a lot of people had signs saying, you know, thank you and, you know, we'll miss you and all that kind of stuff. And it was very emotional for me because I felt like I always played with um, a lot of passion and I feel like I've always kind of um, was loyal to the city. I was one of the only guys that lived year-round. I felt like I did some good charitable things here. Um, and it was, you know, I just felt like, I wasn't ready to leave, I didn't want to leave, but I knew it was going to happen. Um, where I was financially my career, where the organization was going, um, I just knew I wouldn't be resigned. I know they were saying, well, you never know, and but I knew, my agent knew. Um, so that at bat, my last night at bat, I don't know, I drowned it out or I made it out and I came to the dog and I, I just lost it because there's a lot of heart and, and passion towards this city. and. That was very painful, I won't ever forget that at-bat. And then my last at-bat in Pittsburgh, got based hit my last at-bat, and I went right into the clubhouse and and lost it because I knew that it was over. And, you know, when you train and you push and you push your body and you put your heart into everything that you do, and, you know, I was never supposed to play this long. Um, A lot of scouts, a lot of people, I I had a lot of doubters all the time, every year. All the way through my career, that I can't do this. You can do this, but you're you're limited here. You're limited there. Somebody's always better, um, and it pushes you to do more. And I felt like I'd got the most out of my ability, which I think is the goal of every athlete to get the most out of what you what your, your the God gave you. And I felt like I did that. And when it comes to a point an end, you know, you gotta. I'm very grateful, but sad because what's my next chapter you know so um you know i i had tons of great memories and fans were always so nice to me they're still so nice to me here and now i still live here they're still so gracious to me at restaurants and you know people say such nice things to me i'm very fortunate um my kids get good good, i respected you know very well amongst people because of what i was able to accomplish here and And those are great things, and, um, you know, nothing ever really bad.
1: Yeah, well, the last thing would be, uh, you know, speaking of Royals fans, what would you like to say to them?
0: I, I appreciate that they appreciated the way that I went about my business, and, you know, it was, you know, I felt like I never shied away from a question. I felt like I was always there for the media through the strike times and through tough times, and. Um, never try to make excuses. If I played poorly, I played poorly. And I think that's a lesson for some of the younger players is sometimes you have good games. I mean, has kind of went through it this year where, you know, you have good games, you want to talk to me. We have. To, if you're going through a rough time, they're going to be critical of your play because that's just what they do. i really very fortunate and and grateful to live in the city and to, and to call it home.
1: Well, thanks so much for all your time and for all the memories and, You know, you mean a lot to the Royals organization and look forward to hopefully seeing you in the Royals Hall of Fame one of these years soon.
0: All right, Dave, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me.